0: Hey Cassandra, we're uh, we're about to record. You should sit down. Norman. Get... Yes.
1: What do your elf eyes see?
0: Uh, um, our our mics.
1: No, no. You're supposed to say they're taking the podcast to Isengard.
0: We've 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 been there all, several times. Yeah, but already no.
1: Like for reals this time.
0: <laughs> what do you what do you what do you mean for reals this time? Well,
1: you know the trees and the orcs and the 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 wizard and we're we're taking the podcast. Isengard.
0: Will there be stupid fat hobbits? Yes. Okay, I'm in.
1: Oh, okay. That was easy. <laughs> I, was, I had this whole sales pitch that, you know, there's potatoes. and You, you know, gotta boil them, <laughs>
0: mash them, stick them in a stew. There, there were
1: also gonna be, you know, some crunchable horses. Um. We're
0: back <laughs> with season two, our yes. continuing coverage of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This time we're talking about Two Towers.
1: Join us on Dueling Genre every Monday through Friday to talk about Lord of the Rings one minute at a time. We're from Lord of the Rings Minute. Leave now and And never come back.
0: No, please come back.
2: (laughs) Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by returning guest Scott Corelli to discuss the TARDIS and the Doctor for the Doctor Who episode, The Doctor's Wife. Welcome, Scott.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to finally uh, talk about uh, Doctor Who on this show.
2: Yeah, we've had you on a couple times, but we have not yet tackled Doctor Who with you, which is surprising because you host or co-host a Doctor Who podcast, Correct.
0: Uh it's it's my longest running podcast actually. I've been doing it since 2009. So, uh oh, you, 10 years. A
2: decade under your belt of Doctor Who discussions. Yeah,
0: yeah. Stuff. 10 years I've been doing the Doctor's companion. So, uh yeah, I I'm a massive Doctor Who fan and it's uh so much so that that show has uh out it has, it has passed through multiple co-hosts. <laughs> um and i have never left the show so i'm still doing it and uh, i love i love dr who so very That's excited to, to be able to talk about that on here
2: yeah the world of podcasts often sees shows disappear or co-hosts or hosts disappear from shows so not surprising yeah. that in a decade time there have been a couple changes <laughs> uh for any list of our listeners who aren't familiar what is the conceit of your dr who podcast because i know there's many of them so how does the doctor companion work
0: well uh originally um you know back when I first started it, it was literally just a uh it was just a uh, i don't know like a like a new episode discussion podcast um so it was we were i think our first our first episodes were the David Tennant regeneration episodes, the end of time. Um, and that's when we first started, and then uh, we went through, you know, the Matt Smith uh, years and all of that. Um, and we sort of uh, covered some classic Who here and there, but we never really got serious about it. And then when I lost my second co-host, I decided to uh, sort of rebrand the show where we would cover the new episodes as they aired and then during the off season we would do seasons that we call the long way around um where uh we will do a uh, a doctor a story from each doctor one doctor at a time so uh each season is you know like the first season was the first episode of every doctor and then the second season was the second story of every doctor and so on and so forth um, and it's been uh, it's been really fun, and I think it's become sort of the most popular version of the show because it's the only one that's doing that shtick, I guess. Um right. So uh, it's been good, and you know we we tackle the classic Doctor Who stuff from the perspective of new Who fans, not sixty year old British guys who uh, <laughs> were watching Doctor Who when they were kids and don't like New Who and only like Classic Who. And it's just like, uh, it's really difficult to dig into those podcasts. There's there's some that are like really, really popular, um, but I don't think they tend to be super popular with New Who people. Um, it tends to mostly be... Um, Tends to mostly be people who have been fans of Doctor Who for years and years and years and years, and uh, we try to make our show very accessible to the point where even in the classic Who episodes, we actually write recaps for each uh, each episode, each because uh, you know each each episode each story is a serial. Um, And so uh, for each individual episode within that serial, we do we write and perform recaps uh, with like, you know, like TARDIS sound effects and stuff like that to sort of give people uh, an idea of what the episode was, uh, you know, without having to actually watch it. Because I know that watching Classic Who is kind of a struggle for a lot of New Who fans and we're totally accepting of them and want to embrace them and want to give them an idea of what classic who is like without making them like actually watch it. If that's not something that they want to do.
2: Right. So, uh, Dr. Who, which I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with, but it it goes back to 1963,
0: the TV series. Right. Same day as the JFK assassination.
2: Oh, I I did not know that. Um, <laughs> and, and you were mentioning like new who fans versus the classic fans. So the, the classic doctor who, and you probably know this better than I, it's 63 to 80 late eighties. Is that correct? 89. 89 that the, mm-hmm. it ran with different actors taking over the role of the doctor. And that's why we refer to multiple doctors uh, because mm-hmm. he's an alien who regenerates into a new form. And then new who started in two thousand. Five was it yep two thousand and five okay in two thousand and five they they started the series kind of picking up with a new regeneration, so you can imagine there were just adventures that we've missed in those mm-hmm. in those intervening years um and that that version in in two thousand five has you know garnered all what you call the new who fans like a, a a new fan base, but because the series has this very long history, there is this kind of odd um split. Uh, I think I think in the fan base that that happens and it's nice to know that your show kind of helps address that and bring in some of the long lore and mythology of the show to the new who fans because the new who still references some of the 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 classic bits, uh, you know, and, you know, brings in the classic aliens and, and foes from from the original run,
0: right? right yeah we we really uh try very hard to make our show as accessible as possible and a big help with that of course is that uh you know uh, cassandra discovered the show with new who and then went back and watched all of classic who so that's her perspective i grew up with it because my dad watched it so i knew about dr who way before the reboot happened i watched the uh fox tv movie live in 1996 i remember Um, that
2: tv movie actually and being Mm -hmm. kind of confused that was the only doctor who i'd ever seen and i watched that because um i'd read an article about what a big deal doctor who was um for mm-hmm. sci-fi television history and i'd never seen an episode and i was like oh i want to watch uh, like i was like 12 or 13 but i was into sci-fi and so i watched it and i just remember being kind of confused about what
0: yeah yeah i mean i think <laughs> i think everyone everyone across the board classic who fans new fans everybody like everyone was baffled by that tv movie and now (laughs) now i love watching it because it's just it's it's like the perfect kind of movie to like you know sort of um, mystery science theater you know like because it's Uh, it's so over the top and silly and and so kind of not what doctor who is that it's kind of fun to watch as like this weird artifact of of uh, that time that they tried to bring uh, uh doctor who into the 90s for american audiences um It's very strange. But uh, uh, yeah, so I I, being a long, long time Doctor Who fan. And then our third co-host, Nick Jimenez, uh, is is watching Classic Who for the very first time. So every episode is the first time that he's seen it. And uh, that that gives us sort of like three very different perspectives on on the show. And uh, I think it I I hope that it makes it very accessible for everybody as a result.
2: Yeah, it sounds like you'd have a, a good blend of perspectives on that. Uh, The one we're going to be talking about today is Mm -hmm. the fourth episode of the sixth season of New Who. And I don't know how BBC officially does the season numbers, but I always see the New Who kind of starting with season one Yes, um, as well. Uh, and it's called The Doctor's Wife, and it was written by Neil Gaiman, who is a creator that we've mentioned. Uh, we, we've talked about several of his works on this uh, podcast, and it was directed by Richard Clark. It originally aired on May Fourteenth, two thousand eleven. It starred Matt Smith as the Doctor, Amy Pond as um, as uh, uh, or no, sorry, Karen, Karen Gillan as Amy Pond. Pond. I, those. I was looking at my notes. I'm like, wait a second, that's not right. So yeah, Karen Gillan <laughs> as Amy Pond and Arthur Darville as Rory Williams, and it tells a story of. Um, a being who's called the house who summons the doctor and then removes the matrix of the TARDIS and puts it into the body of a woman. So we actually have the TARDIS is the doctor's time machine, spaceship time machine that uh, the doctor actually gets to have a conversation with what is actually his longest companion on Dr. Who he cycles through these human companions that are with him, uh, you know, as kind of an eye into the crazy adventures that he has. uh, And this is the first chance that we actually get to see the TARDIS, uh, you know, given voice, even though he he does talk to the TARDIS all the time uh in the series. So it's just a very fun twist uh for for this episode. Some trivia about the Doctor's wife. Uh this was the first episode of Doctor Who that was written by Neil Gaiman. He's done, I think, one or two others. Um and I noted that we've talked about some of his works. We have previous episodes of the protagonist podcast when we talk about the graveyard book, Marvel 1602 and the ocean at the end of the lane. So we've talked about four of his stories and we were doing the math right before we started recording. And this is the fourth of the new who episodes that we have talked about. So uh, these are up there in some of our most frequently visited uh, pieces of pop culture works by Neil Gaiman and Dr. Who Um, originally this episode was supposed to be part of the latter Portion of season five, but they needed so much budget, and they'd already spent so much on season five <laughs> that this episode got shifted to. the beginning And that of season uh, six. that
0: actually makes a lot of sense when you watch it. At least, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know um, if you've only popcorned around or if you've ever like really watched the show all the way through, but. Season five has a very, um, sort of overarching kind of fairy tale theme, uh, to to the season. So all of season five kind of has this, uh, fairy tale sort of uh, larger than life kind of feel to it, and and it's all very like heartwarming and charming. And then season six is is a darker season overall. It's 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 got. I mean, you know, the whole MacGuffin of the season is that they watch the Doctor die, and we have to figure out how that happened and why um, and, and try and find a way to stop it. And that's sort of like the arc of this. So it's a very different feeling season than season five. But this episode really sticks out. Uh, as like obviously feeling like season five in that it is very much a has that fairy tale vibe and um, is is uh, very different from the rest of uh, season six. So that I you know that that that's always made a lot of sense to me. Um, despite the fact that I don't think it would have worked as well in season five because I think it requires. Uh, Rory and Amy to have a, a very uh, uh, I guess a lot of depth in their understanding of the doctor and the TARDIS um, in order for the episode to work as well as it does here. Uh, So I, I do like where it, where it ended up and it's a, it's a nice, nice breath of fresh air in a season that is fairly lackluster overall.
2: Yeah. The uh, I, I did watch all of new who um, up through Uh, I think season six or seven, like in binging with uh, a friend who introduced it to us. Um, And we were in grad school and we'd had a TV show night for grad school students who were burning out. Uh, And it started as a lost night (laughs) and it became a doctor who night after lost ended. Like it just, you know, we, we start tacking on other shows (laughs) and we just ended up watching like three or four hours of television. (laughs) How how we were doing that. And doctor who got into the mix pretty early on in those nights. And so I was um, going just, you know, every week we're watching a new episode of, of doctor who. And I remember, this one, uh, like you said, kind of kind of standing out. Um, I, I tonally and also just in quality, like this is just one of one of the iconic uh, episodes of New Who. Um, it, I, well, like in the trivia I have, it won the Hugo Award uh, for, for for the year that it was released um, for for um, science fiction television, uh, and so it, it does a lot of um, interesting things with the character. Uh, I've said that we've talked about three previous episodes of dr who we've never actually talked about the doctor uh as the as the character we're going to focus on in um in our earlier discussions of dr who episodes because in a lot of episodes the doctor is kind of a cipher like he it's hard to get a read on him like he's always entertaining it's always great Mm -hmm. to have him there but i don't know what we learned from the character in some of the episodes that we've watched um so like we we've done we talked about sally sparrow in the episode blink we talked about river song in a couple of episodes and we talked about um Vincent Van Gogh from the episode of Vincent and the Doctor. Um, And so I'm I'm kind of excited to actually start digging into the Doctor a little bit for this discussion. Yeah, I was going
0: to uh, recommend, because I know when you originally... I think when either I asked for this or you asked me to be on this, I don't remember what, what, how that happened. But um, <laughs> I, I think originally the the idea was that we would just be talking about the TARDIS, like that's the protagonist of this episode. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent, I do think that that's probably true because I don't I don't know how much the Doctor changes um, through this adventure, other than just like. A deeper understanding, but I mean, he pretty much just goes back to being the Doctor in the next episode. Um, I I would recommend uh, if there was an episode to do that would have been would be about the Doctor himself in New Who. I would probably choose uh, the episode Heaven Sent, uh, which is a uh, an actual um, 12th Doctor story. And uh, in that episode, uh,
2: yeah, Peter Peter Capaldi.
0: Capaldi. And in that episode, it's just him. There's no one else in the episode. It's just the doctor and nothing else. Um, And it is an absolute tour de force uh, performance and an incredible episode. Um, And it is uh, probably in my top three Doctor Who stories, along with this one and uh, Silence in the Library. Uh, those are my top three Doctor Who stories. So.
2: so I haven't seen the Peter Capaldi seasons yet. Not because I don't want to. It's just there's too much entertainment out there.
0: Sure. Um,
2: but I, I've had that episode recommended by other people when I mentioned the fact that we've talked about Doctor Who, but never the Doctor. Yeah. And so that is like the go-to one. So we're going to have to have you back on and talk about that at some point. I think. Oh, yeah. No, like I would love that. That, that episode's year, great. Uh, of Doctor Who discussions. So for we'll sure, have to have you back on for that. Um in looking up trivia about this episode, uh The Doctor's Wife, I came across that a lot of people say well, similar to a very obscure Doctor Who comic book story called Nineveh. Have you heard about this? Uh
0: I, I I I honestly I haven't really dug into the comics because I don't consider them canon, so um right. I don't I I
2: it, it's just funny to me, because this, this comic was published in a British Marvel publication mm-hmm. called The Kerbal Hulk Presents. And so I love that we have the incredible Hulk presents and it's this doctor who story that, uh, the, the similarity is that there's a being called the watcher who summons time Lords to kill them. And so on his planet, he has a graveyard of Tardises, uh, and the doctor comes, but, uh, there's nothing with like the Tardis taking form or anything like that. Um, the, so the doctor comes and then, uh, in the comic, he says, Oh, you're on your seventh regeneration. I'm not supposed to have you tell you you're on your 13th. And yeah. The doctor leaves. That's that's how that one comic went. Uh, But the the graveyards of is, I think, is, is really what some people say. Oh, there's some similarities here. But with how many Doctor Who stories have been told, I don't think this is Neil Gaiman, you know, lifting someone else's idea. It's just well, similar I mean, ideas are going to yeah, happen.
0: Yeah, I, with, I think there's that, but then there's also, 200. uh in the in the history of New Who, there's been a propensity for writers taking things that were not canon and canonizing them by sort of a, a loosely adapting them. Uh Russell T. Davies uh, actually did that with a big finish mm-hmm. story called Spare Parts, which he turned into the uh, uh, the Cybermen two-parter from season two uh with the origin of the cybermen um so i mean you know that that there was that and then uh the uh there was a episode called night of the doctor um it was sort of a online episode that um featured the 8th doctor for the first time since the tv movie Uh, and that was a really big deal because there was a sense, a general sense within, uh, Whovians where there was a big question mark over that Fox TV movie about whether or not it was actually Canon. Um, and (laughs) when he showed up in a, you know, a Canon, uh, short, it was like a really, really big deal. And when he, it was a story about how he regenerated into John Hurt, um, And in that story, uh, he, uh, before he dies, he says the names of all of his companions and they were all companions from the big finish era that he, uh, starred in where big finish did like audio dramas of doctor who classic doctor who, uh, stories and, 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 uh, classic featuring classic doctors and a full cast and everything. And that's where the majority of the eighth doctor stuff has lived forever. Um, it was just the Fox TV movie, and then he did Big Finish stories forever, but no one considered them canon until that moment. That moment canonized everything that The Eighth Doctor had done in Big Finish, um, which is a huge deal. So, um, it's it's things like that where uh, where you know the new Who writers have tended to uh, lift ideas and things like that, but it's it's sort of a, a wink and a nod, if, if anything else. I bet if you asked Neil Gaiman he would say oh yeah i read that story and right. i always thought it was a great idea and so i wanted to put in in there as like a you know it, he's like paying tribute more than anything else
2: yeah, with what we know of uh, Neil Gaiman's upbringing and his reading sources, I would not be surprised to know that he read The Incredible Hulk Presents.
0: <laughs> right, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I guess it's also worth noting with all of these, like all those Doctor Who stories that they're borrowing from, those are all work for hire and the rights belong to the BBC's production company, I would believe. So it's not, right. you know, like, like that's all fair game for them to to lift from.
0: Right, exactly. Um, yeah.
2: All right. Well, before we move on to the full summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are our monthly episodes in which we talk about newly released films or trailers or books or TV shows that we've been watching or reading. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office game, which Andrew currently has a lead, but avengers endgame is mine so i'm feeling confident things will shift from my way soon uh all patrons you hope so joseph but i just updated some things (laughs) you you have a couple hundred million dollar lead on me right now don't you 300 million now oh 300 million okay i need avengers endgame to do very well uh but all patrons who support us with five dollars a month or or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss and we always enjoy those patron picks so now on to the recap of this episode of dr who The episode opens on a weird planet where a man called Uncle and a woman called Auntie are leading another woman, who is named Idris, to a place where her mind and soul will be drained to make room for another soul to take her place, like to to take over the body, uh, after a Time Lord is summoned. Uh, Helping them out is an Ood, who is an alien, that never speaks but holds a communication sphere uh, in front of it. Uh, And then we cut to see the Doctor, Rory, and Amy are in the TARDIS, and the Doctor receives a message cube from another Time Lord, the Corsair. This is a big deal because the Doctor is the last Time Lord. So getting a message from another Time Lord is unexpected. The Corsair's signal actually leaves this universe and is coming from what they refer to as a bubble universe, I believe. is how they they call it. Uh, And so they travel out of our universe into this bubble universe, and when they land on this planet, the TARDIS loses power. And the Doctor looks into things and says, the TARDIS's matrix, which is its heart and soul, has disappeared. And now Idris sits up and makes the TARDIS's unmistakable sounds. There's some really great sound effects in Doctor Who. I can't do it justice on this podcast. But if you've ever watched Doctor Who, you know what sound (laughs) Idris is making. (laughs) She sits up. Leaving the TARDIS, the Doctor, Rory, and Amy see what looks like a junkyard planet, basically. And Idris runs up to the Doctor, speaking very rapid nonsense that almost makes some sense, but not quite. And she calls the Doctor her thief and kisses him. Auntie and Uncle run up and explain that Idris is insane and needs to be locked up for her own safety. Idris says that the little boxes will make the Doctor angry, and then she faints. The Ood comes, uh, and the Doctor offers to fix his communication sphere, and when he does, we hear overlapping voices of Time Lords calling for help. The Doctor asks where they are, and Auntie explains that they're on House. And then she takes them to a vent, and looking down at it, the Doctor just looks at it and says, oh, the planet is sentient. And suddenly, Auntie and Uncle start speaking simultaneously in a booming voice, the voice of House, the planet, who has taken over uh, their, their bodies to be able to communicate with the Doctor. The Doctor asks about Time Lords, and the House says he's hosted many, but there aren't any here now other than the Doctor. And the Doctor tells ha- House there will not be any more because the Doctor is the last Time Lord. I just wakes up in a cell and starts calling out for her thief. The doctor tells Amy and Rory that House must be lying because the message, is a message from the Corsair, came from here now. So he thinks there must be other Time Lords still around. He sends Amy and Rory back to the TARDIS to go get his sonic screwdriver, which is his like MacGuffin catch-all do whatever an alien needs to do device. Uh, but Amy uh, gives him her cell phone so that they can still communicate. Once Roy and Amy are inside the TARDIS, the doctor pulls out his sonic screwdriver from his pocket and locks the door of the TARDIS. And then he traces a signal using his sonic screwdriver to a cabinet, which when he opens it, he finds hypercubes that are holding the distress signals like the one the Corsair had sent. Um, Auntie and Uncle show up behind him and he looks them over closely and he realizes they are made of spare parts, meaning like their, their bodies break down and House has sewn new parts on from beings that he has summoned. For example, Auntie has Corsair's arm while Uncle has Corsair's spine and kidneys. Uh, they released the Corsair's Hypercube to lure another Time Lord because House feeds on TARDIS energy and he uses the bodies of the Time Lords to keep Uncle and Auntie alive. The Doctor calls Amy and apologizes for lying about the sonic screwdriver and then wonders how Idris knew the boxes would make him angry. The Doctor goes to talk to Idris and discovers that she is in fact the TARDIS. So the Matrix of the TARDIS has been removed from uh, the Time Machine and is now inside this biological body. She explains that he, uh, even though he has always thought that he stole the TARDIS, she actually borrowed him so she could go out and see the universe like she was meant to be doing. Uh, because the TARDIS was. In a museum, I believe, historically. And the Doctor stole the TARDIS from the museum and now goes on time travel adventures. Uh, The Doctor deduces that House must feed off the rift energy that is housed in the TARDIS. But if the Matrix is in the TARDIS and is destroyed, that blows a hole in the universe. So the Matrix needs to be removed from the TARDIS before House can eat the TARDIS. And that has happened, and Roy and Amy are in the TARDIS right now, locked inside, because the Doctor locked them there. (laughs) Um, So, uh, the house, though, instead of just eating the the TARDIS like he usually does, he has moved his consciousness from the planet into the TARDIS to try and leave the Bubble Universe, knowing that he can't summon any more Time Lords now because the Doctor's the last one. And he takes Rory and Amy with him because they're inside the TARDIS and now the Doctor and the TARDIS are stranded. Um, Inside of the TARDIS spaceship, House asks Rory and Amy why they should be allowed to live, and Rory says House needs entertainment, which must be why he kept Auntie and Uncle around on that planet. House agrees and says well you better run for your lives as my entertainment and they begin to run through the TARDIS's hallways as horrible things are going to happen to them because house is just playing with them back on the planet auntie and uncle say that without house them alive it's time for them to go and they die uh the TARDIS in her biological form has a pain in her side because the body is already dying The doctor asks her if she has a name and she says she always likes the one that he calls her, you know, sexy. (laughs) Looking around, the doctor sees the broken remains of the other Time Lords TARDIS's and decides he needs to build one out of scraps, even though that's impossible. But he's a doctor, so he does it. Amy and Rory get separated uh, as they're running around the... the, um, the TARDIS spaceship, and the house is playing mind games. So he makes it appear that Rory is in a faster time stream. And every time Amy like goes around a corner, she sees him, but he's aged. And then she finally finds him in one corner where he's a mummified cor- corpse who wrote the words "kill Amy" on the walls all around him. Uh, and then Amy turns around another corner, and there's a perfectly healthy and regular aged Rory there. So kind of like that moment shifts to like the psychological horror within this episode. That um, kind of stands out as, as some of the beats here. Uh, The Doctor and the the TARDIS uh, um, they they bond because they can actually speak to each other now, and the Doctor asks why she doesn't always take him where he tells her to go, because if you watch much Doctor Who, often he says, we're going to this one place, and then they arrive somewhere else where there's an emergency, and the Doctor has to take care of things, and the TARDIS explains she always takes him where he needs to go, not where he wants to go. Uh, Having built a patched-together TARDIS, the Matrix gives some of her energy to that ship to power it, even though her Her humanoid body is deteriorating. They catch up to the doctor's original TARDIS spaceship, but its shields are up and the matrix uh, TARDIS uh, in the humanoid form sends a telepathic message guiding Rory and Amy to an old control room where they can shut the shields down. Uh, The doctor and uh, the humanoid TARDIS, Idris are able to transport over to that old control room and The house comes and says, and makes a threatening speech, and the doctor says, you're never going to be able to leave this bubble universe with all the power that the TARDIS is draining. You better delete 30% of the rooms if you want to leave this dying bubble universe and make it into our home universe. And so house... Chuckles and says, well, I will delete this room with all of you in it, and that will take care of that problem. But the TARDIS has a failsafe that automatically moves uh, organic beings to the main control room in the event that a room is deleted with them inside of it. Once they're back in the main room, Idris releases the TARDIS's matrix from her biological body, and it re-enters the TARDIS machines and overrides house and regains control of the TARDIS. And briefly, a spectral form of Idris appears and says that she always wanted to tell the doctor Hello. That was a word she couldn't remember. And then she whispers, I love you, as that form fades, and the Matrix is once again part of the TARDIS. Uh, At the end of the episode, alone in the control room, the Doctor says they can go to the Eye of Orion or wherever the TARDIS thinks he needs to go, and one of the lovers moves. The end. All right. So, Scott, Mm -hmm. the Doctor's wife, what do you think it adds for Doctor Who fans, and you're one of the biggest that I know, to have voice given to the TARDIS machine that has been with the doctor through this entire series.
0: It, I mean, I think what it, what it, uh, I think, you know, there's like, I mean, there's so many moments in this that I love, but one of my favorites is the moment when he takes her by the hand and they run away and you sort of realize that the TARDIS Mm -hmm. is the doctor's original companion, you know, um and i i just love that like i love that that you know he's even when he's had one companion he's always had two and i there there's just something so Beautiful about that and the idea that, like, you know, we all love the TARDIS. You know, all Doctor Who fans love the TARDIS. We love that stupid blue box. And we love, like, every time they change the interior, we love discovering that new TARDIS, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it's going to mean for the show. And... Uh, I just think that uh, turning this this inanimate thing that we've always loved and never thought of anything really more than like, oh, it's it's this silly thing that always takes him to the wrong place and it's stuck looking like a police box and it's it's like half broken, but he loves it. And we've always just sort of thought of it as a car, but it's obviously more than that. I mean, you get your first... There there's several classic Who episodes that deal with it, but uh the big one in New Who that deals with uh with it is uh the um uh Bad Wolf. Um, you know, there there's that episode where the uh the TARDIS uh the TARDIS stuff um goes into uh Rose and, uh, you know, it requires the Doctor to uh, kiss her and take the power and then die. And that's how the Ninth Doctor regenerates. Um, so, you know, we, we've we dealt with this idea that there's more to the TARDIS than what we think. But turning it into a character that can talk to uh, the Doctor and uh, be this thing that... Um, that uh the audience can i guess personify is a really big deal i think
2: for me like i i came to doctor who with new who and so i didn't have as much built in but i started to think about what it would be like for someone who has watched doctor who for so mm-hmm. many years uh like i was looking up i think there's over 800 episodes of doctor who is that correct you probably know that off the top of your head yeah um oh yeah and i i just thought this was such a brilliant way to access something that is such a core part of the tv series that never you Mm -hmm. know that so rarely would be talked about in depth right and and to be able to like personify and like really give voice uh to the tardis which as you said is like the doctor's only constant companion every other companion is there for a season or two uh you know and then disappears and the tardis is one of those constants of the show but in a way that uh that the this episode allows through the wonkiness of the sci-fi and the loosey-goosey rules of the kind of magical sci-fi that you know, the, the Doctor Who lives in to literally give voice uh, to, to this uh, spaceship that's been there for 800 plus episodes. And I think it must be so hard for writers who are coming in who say, I want to say something new about Doctor Who <laughs> uh, to be able to find something. And And I think very successfully this episode does.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I and I remember when this episode was announced, uh, it was, you know, the title of this, funnily enough, is um, a bit of a troll because uh, it, it when everyone saw the title, everyone assumed that this was an episode about River Song. Um, I'm yes. like, oh, this is the episode where we're gonna find out that River Song is the Doctor's wife. Uh, you know, here it comes. This is it. This is the big one. And people were bracing to be angry because they were, you know, like all the classic Who fans were like, "The Doctor is married." Um, and you know, we were all very excited. I mean, uh, this this uh, you know, after Series Five, I mean, all of the new Who fans, I mean, we were we were uh, uh you know, just really chomping at the bit for all of this stuff. Um, And uh, when it, I remember when it it aired, when we first saw the the trailer for it, um, I think we suddenly, and we knew that it was Neil Gaiman and all of that. And it felt odd. I remember thinking it felt odd that he would be doing the River Song episode uh, because that's such a Stephen Moffat character. Uh, so I remember thinking that was odd. And then when we revealed that like, oh, the title was actually just sort of Stephen Moffat trolling uh, all of us um, was, was uh, you know, not disappointing, but a little like, oh, OK. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just remember watching this episode um, and being completely blown away. And the idea of calling it The Doctor's Wife, I mean, it's... It's so beautiful. Like it's really beautiful that like they, they have a marriage, these two, I mean, it's not official, you know, but that's what this is. They've been living together long enough, you know? So (laughs) they, they have this relationship, this, uh, this give and take that is, I just so beautiful. And not only that, but like, there's like little things, like every time he regenerates, the TARDIS tends to regenerate as well. Um, And I, you know, just all of that, just, feeds into this title of like two uh, beings that have grown with each other over the course of you know hundreds to thousands of years Uh, you know his actual age is a bit of a mystery but um, it's incredible to me uh, this episode that you know we got to this point it's one of those ideas for something that is like long-standing like I remember when Jeff Johns took over Green Lantern and he was like, so, you know, Green Lanterns. Well, what if there were yellow lanterns and red lanterns and blue lanterns? And I remember just kind of smacking myself in the forehead of like, how has it taken this long for someone else to do something that simple? Um, And that's kind of how I felt about this. It was just like it was so simplistically brilliant um that i was really impressed and very anxious for neil gaiman to write another episode and he only other he only wrote one other one and it wasn't very good unfortunately but um (laughs) but this one is is, this one's a masterpiece i think
2: i like what you said about it being simplicity brilliant because it fits all the mythology and there's so much mythology and it adds to it and it's in a way that once you like once you hear it you're like oh right 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 of course uh, and But if you hadn't heard that You still go on loving Doctor mm-hmm. Who for what it is Like some of the lines that I love that explain this, like you said, this marriage relationship uh, between the two is, is, like, I, when she calls him my thief, uh-huh. like, like she's possessive, but of the, you know, thief is obviously someone who steals something else, and so, like, that's just a fun, fun phrasing that happens there, um, and just a good, solid bit of writing, but then also when you hear their different points of view, where he talks about stealing her from the museum, and she says, well, I borrowed you, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you were the only one mad enough, uh, you know, to, to take me back out there, and so um, you... Like you, you end up liking the TARDIS more, and as you've said, like it's an iconic part of Doctor Who. That you know, the bigger on the inside. Which I read was one of the original titles of this episode was bigger on the inside. But they worried that would give too much away, and everyone would be expecting a big TARDIS episode. And they kind of wanted to keep it under wraps that they were doing a big TARDIS episode. Um, and, and <laughs> when you said that uh, the name "The Doctor's Wife" is kind of trolling, I did read that that was actually a fake episode from one of the old Who series. <laughs> that was called the doctor's wife where they were trying to find someone who was leaking information about upcoming episodes. And so they, they posted information about a fake episode called the doctor's wife. And then they waited to see, you know, who talked right. about it <laughs> basically, like, where's this right. information coming from? <laughs> and so the levels of trolling, I think are, are multi-layered on this because doctor who is such a dedicated fan base. I'm sure that story was well known, <laughs> uh, to, to dedicated, dedicated Whovians. Um, like when I started poking around for um trivia, I was like, Oh right, this is Doctor Who. I will not have any trouble because there are so many dedicated Doctor Who fans who put every bit of trivia about every episode <laughs> together on wikis. Um uh, and that, you know, this is one of those series, you know, those series that that garners that kind of dedicated um and, and interactive fandom. So I when you say like the title was trolling, I think there's so many oh, layers to yeah, that absolutely, trolling that are happening absolutely. right now. <laughs>
0: um yeah, no, I, I just I, I think this uh, th- this episode, it's also an interesting kind of episode because it's sort of um it, it's an episode that you kind of have to earn, you know, which I don't I, I feel like sounds gate more gatekeepery than I mean it to be. But it's it's an episode that you're not going to fully appreciate until you've got like, you know, 100 plus episodes of Doctor Who under your belt, you know, um, just for the just for the 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 the. Yes. The conceit of it to fully appreciate what's happening, um, you really need to have been on a journey with this character and this this dumb blue box for you know a really long time to I think fully appreciate this episode. It's not something like Blink or the Girl in the Fireplace where you can show those episodes to a first time uh, viewer and th- them get a lot out of it. If you showed this to someone who had never seen Doctor Who before, I don't think they would ever watch dr who again
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't think it's gatekeeper it's just acknowledging the audience for whom this episode was written and right uh, there are uh, audiences well there are gonna be episodes that are accessible for everyone like i said you listed some of the great ones for that um but then there are episodes that are like with an eye towards the mythology of the series um mm-hmm. and within that like you get references to the dr uh destroying the other time lords right and it's like wait what is that like if you if you're right. watching this for the first time like who is this character <laughs> um, <laughs> and and what is the story because they do just do some random drops uh of information to lots of backstory um and like you said like the, even just caring about the TARDIS getting human form uh, if this is your first episode you're like is this weird like is this different or is this just what they do <laughs> you know on the, <laughs> yeah on this show um and oh, oh, I just wanted to add that uh, one bit of mythology that gets added in this episode uh, that has become very significant mm-hmm. is the uh, like he, uh, Neil Gaiman wrote in a reference to the Corsair. He, he says like he's he's always crazy. Well, she a couple times. Uh, and so so uh, changing gender as the doctor or as, as the time Lord regenerates, which um, the, the current doctor, you know, ha, is played by what is her name? I can't remember the actress's name. Who's the newest doctor? Oh, um,
0: uh, Jodie Whittaker.
2: Jodie Whittaker. So they, they've done that for the doctor, which uh, this is the first episode that really said that's going to be a possibility.
0: I, I do want to give credit where credit's due because while, uh, Neil, Neil Gaiman is obviously the uh, credited writer for this. Uh, mm-hmm. those, uh, there, there are several bits in this, uh, episode that were written by Stephen Moffat who, you know, as like story editor, he, he tends to take the scripts and add little bits and bobs here and there to, uh, make them cohesive to, uh, to his take on the show. Um, and so he, that, that bit there was actually added by Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, That was that was added by Stephen Moffat, along with a few other jokes. And so I just want to give credit where credit's due, because a lot of people get very mad at Stephen Moffat for doing nothing to ever turn the doctor into a woman like everyone wanted uh, uh, 12 to be a woman. And uh, he wasn't, obviously, but he had a different story that he wanted to tell with Peter Capaldi. Uh, And that was more about the Doctor being uh, the old man that he is on the inside, on the outside um, for once uh, in a long time. Uh, And so he wanted to tell that story, which is, I think, valid. But I think that without the thing that he uh, put into this episode, and then later we actually full on see a time lord regenerate into a woman uh later in the, in the show in the in his run on the show during the Peter Capaldi era i think without those two things both of which he is responsible for uh we wouldn't have gotten a, a 13th doctor in the form of Jodie Whittaker so you know uh he did add to the canon that it was possible which was not a thing that was ever uh 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 you know part of canon before so um Credit where credits do. That's
2: good. I did see that Moffat had done uh, a bit, be, particularly because this moved seasons, and so like uh, Rory had to get added <laughs> to to it. Right. And after right. several rewrites, uh I, I read like Gaiman just kind of said, "Do whatever you need to do to make it fit."
0: <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, to yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a bunch of jokes in here where like you can kind of tell which ones are Neil Gaiman jokes and which ones are Stephen Moffat jokes. Um, the uh, the line that she says where she's like, "I like biting." It's like kissing but there's a winner that's a stephen moffat line like mm-hmm. that is like full on a stephen moffat line without a doubt um and so there's there's a there's a a bunch of those scattered throughout this episode uh and uh that uh that that bit with uh with the the gender changing uh time lord is uh is a stephen moffat creation so um you know important
2: okay uh good bit of info there. Uh, what do you think this episode does? Like you said, it, it like adds maybe a little deepen some understanding, but does it really transform the Doctor? But what is some of the are uh, you know are our, our, uh, aspects of the Doctor that you feel like this episode kind of highlights for us as viewers?
0: I think it allows the Doctor to be uh, emotional in a way that isn't about loss, um, which doesn't happen a lot like usually when the doctor is getting emotional it's because he's losing a companion or he's about to regenerate or something like that um and when i say emotional obviously i mean like sad um i don't he gets angry a lot um <laughs> but but uh, and he gets, you know, manic and happy a lot, but I, but specifically sad, uh, tends to be like, kind of just like those two things. Um, you know, uh, other times his sadness sort of takes the form of anger or frustration. Uh, so seeing him be like, like cry in a way that was like sad, but also happy that he got to meet her, um, is such a big deal. Uh, cause it doesn't happen often and i think it it allowed us to have this this other aspect of this guy where we start to really understand his connection to this dumb blue box you know it's mm-hmm. it's more than a car to him um it was the thing that allowed him to uh, escape the time lords and get away from them because he didn't want to be a part of that world anymore. He wanted to help the universe and go on adventures and explore. And that's not something the Time Lords were allowed to do. And this box gave him the ability to do that, to fulfill that dream. And that's so meaningful. And the fact that he was able to meet the being responsible for changing his life that way um is is very meaningful and i think it it might not change the doctor completely um but it does add an extra layer of meaning to every time he gets behind those controls
2: yeah i I like that and um it's not just the you, you said um how he he's so glad that he got to meet her in this form and sad that she's gone in that form but i think that also deepens his gladness to have the tardis like their their relationship is different you know so he's Mm -hmm. still now like at the end i love that the other companions were gone at the end like i don't think there's any way you can end this episode with rory and amy around like you needed that final beat to be the doctor and the tardis and the doctor talking to the tardis and the tardis responding um it it was a beautiful ending that kind of says this is going to be the same but different from here on out like (laughs) this is one of those uh you know moments in a friendship where uh it's Mm -hmm. transformative
0: yeah and and not to get uh you know college lit about it but um the the bit at the very end right before we get that final shot where um Rory and Amy are saying like hey so you uh you deleted her bedroom can we get a new bedroom and he's like yeah no absolutely and he's like she was like yeah uh so this time could we like maybe not get bunk beds <laughs> uh can we just get like a regular bed and he's like what but bunk beds are great you get the ladder like that's awesome whatever fine have your dumb single bed that you guys will share stupid um but what what i i think is important about that moment is it it feels like a little bit of a metaphor for his relationship with the tardis now they were in bunk beds and now they're sharing a bed um and I, I just, I really, I I love everything about this episode and, and even, even to like little, little, uh, things that seem to not mean anything. Um, you know, I, I can have a reading on them that I feel like is,
2: uh, yeah, and we don't shy away from the college lit stuff on this podcast. So feel free to, to dig right in. <laughs> um, okay. Fair <laughs> enough on that. No, I, I like that reading a lot. Um, you know, both there, like it's signaling a different relationship for both, you know, and, well, and, um, Mm-hmm. for the doctor and the tardis i think it's it's um i it, it's it's just going to be a deeper relationship because he actually got to bond uh you know uh, with the personality of of the tardis and i i just love mm-hmm. so many of the the little lines that are sprinkled throughout it's it's an episode worth watching and just like Paying attention to how the words are phrased, which is something that I think Neil Gaiman is a master of. Um, you know, just, mm-hmm. just um the turns the of phrase that, that come out of a character's mouth is like, oh, that was delightful. Uh, and there's double meanings there. And and so many things, like I I already mentioned the the my thief. Like that's just such a perfect uh summation uh of those two. And there's like you have to stop and kind of think about uh, you know, all the issues of possessiveness and ownership that are in that phrase, my thief. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to touch on the um the horror aspects, uh, like where where it feels like it changed genre mid mid episode with the Rory and Amy running through the halls of the TARDIS. Um, why do you think we have what had? I, I mean, and, and the one of the the great joys of Doctor Who is that there can be so many different genres that get played with. Like, he will have very light, fun episodes followed by really dark, horrifying episodes. That's part of uh what you accept within the premise of doctor who but within this very episode like that those vignettes of Roy and amy and the halls just feel fairly separated um tonally from the rest of the episode obviously quite physically separated um what do you think is uh with within this story trying to be accomplished with those
0: uh, I think it's to show that um, you know how scary the power of the TARDIS is, and that if another being were in control of it, uh, that that thing is a—it's just a nonstop nightmare. Um, it's it's a nightmare. It's 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 really foreboding and scary. Uh, and the only reason that the TARDIS is home for them and and is so lovely and, and just such a wonderful, heartwarming part of the show is because she's running the show. Like, she is a good soul. Um, and without her, the TARDIS can just be a total nightmare world.
2: I, I like that a lot. Yeah, the TARDIS, I, I think often in science fiction shows, even though uh, characters will sometimes ra- wax romantic about their ships, the ships are tools. And I mm-hmm. think this episode is trying to say – there is an essence to the TARDIS that is beyond a tool. And if someone, and if you think of it as a tool, someone else in charge of it can use that tool for horrifying things. Like you said, (laughs) like like absolute nightmare. What, what Amy endures in, in those bits. Um, And it's not clear how much Rory is enduring in those bits. (laughs) It's just clear that Amy's having some psychological trauma uh, put upon her. Um, But, but if you think of the TARDIS as a neutral thing, uh, someone else with that same power could do something horrible and so the, the whole episode is saying the TARDIS is not a neutral thing there's a, a, a quirky loving uh character that is the doctor's wife <laughs> that is at the core of the TARDIS and like you said allows it to feel like home
0: right right
2: Oh, I like that because I was, I was wondering about that, and as soon as you start talking, I'm like, "Oh, he's got it! You you nailed that!" So thank you for coming on. <laughs>
0: yeah, no problem. It's
2: not like I dislike those beats with Roy and Amy. It's just they've always kind of stood out as, um, you know, it's feeling so different.
0: Oh uh, yeah, no, totally, I yeah. mean tonally they definitely stick out. Uh, but I I think that's definitely the uh, the the intention.
2: Um, and, well, and particularly I was thinking about because there are other parts of this episode that could be played for horror, like Auntie and Uncle. Uh, the idea of humans or, or or humanoid beings who are wearing out and other people body parts get sewn on to the point where there's nothing original left that could have been played for horror, but they got played for laughs uh, more so mm-hmm. than than horror. And so it didn't feel like the episode was going for horror until you get like into the final act. Isn't that pretty much in the final act when when uh, the Roy and Amy
0: sequences start happening? Uh, um, yeah, it's definitely the back half of the episode for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: And there were opportunities before to kind of signal to the audience we're playing in the horror genre today, uh, and it didn't choose to do that. So um, I, I really like your insight into into what's being accomplished by including that in the latter half of the episode.
0: Yeah, just uh, just another another way of showing how special the TARDIS actually is.
2: Uh, is there uh, you, you? I think earlier on in the conversation, you said you had so many favorite moments of the episode. Are there anything else that you want to dig into as far as like things that stand There's, out? There's
0: I. I mean, my God, I love I love entering on to uh, the Russell T Davies TARDIS. I just that was that was such a I remember I I stood up off the couch when they walked into that TARDIS interior. I I was the first time I watched this. I just I lost my mind because that is something that had never in the history of the show ever happened before. Uh, a, A doctor going into an old TARDIS. Like an old TARDIS interior that had never, an old TARDIS control room, you know, that had never ever happened before. And so that was really, really special. And especially considering the fact that uh, Stephen Moffat had been very adamant about kind of. Staying away from uh, All of Russell T. Davies Canon uh, for the most part Like not discrediting discrediting It at all but not Really wanting to play with those Toys he left those toys in the Russell T. Davies Toy box you know it's why uh, Captain Jack never Came back even though everyone wanted Him to return and meet Matt Smith And everyone wanted uh, Wanted him to meet uh, uh, You know River Song And wanted him to meet Peter Capaldi later on and you know there were always rumors flying that it would happen and it never ever ever did and it's because just in general Moffitt wanted to make his own toys and play with his own toys and not with Russell T Davies stuff uh and so this was the first time that uh anything from the Russell T Davies era had really shown up here and we got we got two of them we got uh the 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 ninth and tenth Dr. Tardis as well as the Ood um, and there's that great line where, when, when the uh, makeshift TARDIS lands on the Ood and the Doctor goes, uh, uh, "Another Ood I failed to save," which is uh, just a great, an absolute just banger of a line. I I I, I loved that. I thought that was so funny. Um, and uh, I just, man, it's this is this is like the best example of fan service that I can ever think of. You know, like if somebody was like, what's the best, like, I don't like fan service, like not all fan service is bad. Right. So what, what is the best kind of fan service? It's this episode. This is like the best kind of fan service.
2: And uh, I think I read that because... Um, they Neil Gaiman was it was originally going to be in the earlier se- season. They were able to specifically say, "Well, stay, save the old set, <laughs> like like we're going to be playing with that." And then it ended up, right. you know, having to sit around for another year <laughs> to to get in on in, into this season. Uh, but yeah, it's um one of those things where like you don't realize you're missing something till you see it again. You're like, oh right, okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I uh I I do I do wow. have nostalgia for that. Um <laughs> uh, but it's not it's yeah. not just doing it for the sake of nostalgia, which is uh, sometimes a fan service that feels um, too self-aware, I think, uh, you know, w- when yes. like a, a, you know, a favorite character just flies by in the background for, for a scene or something like that, where, but isn't serving the plot that can feel like I'm leaving. Like I have to leave the world of the episode to appreciate that fan service. And um, that there would yeah. be kind of a, uh, a disingenuous feel, I think to that, but this one makes it the core of the episode. Like you couldn't, they could not have right. reclaimed the TARDIS without that old control room sitting there in part one of the unused parts.
0: Right. And uh, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where if you had just started watching the show with the 11th hour, the the first uh, 11th doctor story, um, if you just started watching the, the, the show there and you got to this episode it's just a room like it doesn't it it doesn't you know it's not going to like stick out to you as like uh like a weird moment whereas like a lot of fan service if you're not aware of what the thing is you know that you still know that it's it, you know you're missing you know? something
2: because someone popped in and said a line or they all stopped and looked at an object and it's not adding right. anything to the scene it's just for fans to get that nostalgic ah, I, I know that thing i'm in uh but right. this is a good job like you said of letting you know you're in, but without stopping the narrative to, to show you, Hey, if you like this, right here, it is.
0: Yeah. And the lead up to it is really good with, uh, with the, uh, the, the sort of like uh psychic password (laughs) to get into the room. Um, like I, I loved that. Like that's such a, just a very specific Doctor Who thing, you know it's the kind of thing that only works in this show of like uh like oh yeah, no, it's not you can't just say the password, you have to think about all of those things, like you have to think about the number eleven, the color crimson and uh the smell of 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 dirt after rain like you like you have to think of those things, and that's what will open the door like that's so weird and cool and Uh, quintessentially doctor who and i love it
2: yeah this is definitely not playing in the world of hard sci-fi uh but doctor who never has Mm -hmm. and and this episode particularly revels in the looseness of just saying there's weird stuff in the universe (laughs) and yeah and we're we're gonna play with it and it it can um i I think that kind of story can be off-putting at times if it's not handled well but something about doctor who when it's clicking on all cylinders it just uh has that kind of joyous alchemy of, of like, Oh, okay. This is all crazy and shouldn't work, but it is. And I'm, I'm here for the ride.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a very emotional episode. It's, it's, it's both heartwarming and heartbreaking. It's one of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that weird feeling of give and take in your heart when you're just like, I'm so happy, but so sad simultaneously and it sucks and it's great. And I love it and hate it. Um, and that's how like the last, you know, five minutes of this feels, uh, it's, it's wonderful.
2: It feels like sometimes um, you get like a romantic comedy where things don't work out for the characters in the end, which most romantic comedies they do. But they always like try and make the point of like, but they're better people for having had that experience. Like that relationship made them better. Mm -hmm. And like in this episode, you get all of, you know, all those beats and every single one of them is landing right. Like, okay, he's, he had his wife, right? He had the TARDIS with him. They bonded and they became better people and she's gone, but she's not. Right, <laughs> You know, right. And, 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 but, but he and the TARDIS are both better for having this weird adventure in a bubble universe.
0: Right. Because they both they know just like a romantic comedy, you know, they know that they fill in each other's gaps now. You know, like Mm -hmm. she wanted to get off. She wanted to be a TARDIS. Like she was a TARDIS in a museum and she wanted to go do what a TARDIS was built to do. And he wanted a TARDIS and wanted to do the things that a TARDIS does. And together they were able to accomplish this thing and, you know, uh, become. Heroes to the galaxy, to the universe, you know, as a result. And and if that's not like the best romantic comedy arc of like two (laughs) people who are meant for each other, then I don't know what is.
2: But, it, but it's interesting because it's simultaneously like those mixed emotions. He has and loses the girl in the end.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
2: Uh, in, in a way, because it's weird, uh, timey, wimey, wonky sci-fi-ness of Doctor Who that you can't do in a romantic comedy. You can't. You know? Right. That's, that's not an option in a traditional romantic comedy, but it absolutely is when you have Neil Gaiman writing an episode of Doctor Who. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you, Scott. Do you have any final thoughts about this episode before we sign off?
0: Oh man, I know, but it's just so good. It's so, so good. <laughs> um, I, I I love this so much.
2: It is a really good one. Uh, as we noted, it's probably not a good intro to Doctor Who. So if you've listened to this episode of no. the podcast, but you're not a Whovian or you you haven't really watched any Doctor Who, I wouldn't recommend jumping in on this one. I would recommend something like Blink, which we talked about before. What And, and mm-hmm. what were some of the other good uh, intro episodes? The Girl in the Fireplace,
0: uh, right? Uh, yeah, Girl in the Fireplace is a good one. Uh, the 11th Hour is a really good one. That's the first Matt Smith episode. Yeah. Um, those are those are those are usually my go-to. I I tend to stay away from Blink just in general because it it is a really good standalone. Like anyone can watch that episode, but it doesn't really give you a feel yeah. of what Doctor Who is like. Yeah, because it's a very it's not, different kind of episode. Yeah. It's yeah. not
2: about Doctor Who at all or the space right. time adventures. It's just right. a good episode, hour long episode of television that happens yeah. to be in Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so usually my go-to is the girl in the fireplace because it's uh, it's it. It's just a really great story, and and it's a it's the kind of story you can only tell in Doctor Who, which is what and and it's accessible. So like that's kind of the perfect combination for uh you know your first Doctor Who story
2: good recommendations and uh, thank you listeners for joining us on this episode for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank Nick English who designed our logo and Scott Tofte who composed our theme music if you enjoyed this episode of the Protagonist Podcast you might want to go check out episode uh, number 40 when we talked about Sally Sparrow from a Doctor Who episode episode number 140 when we talked about River Song from a couple Doctor Who episodes and episode number 176 when we talked about Vincent Van Gogh from another Doctor Who episode. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at Jaderowski and our producer, Andrew is at Diz Minute and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Scott, where could listeners find your podcast if they are looking? I think most know, but...
0: They're, <laughs> they're all at duelinggenre.com and on your uh, podcast of choice or you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Corelli.
2: All right. Thank you again for joining us and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Gotcha. In the background. That makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll 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 clean all that up and post.
0: Yeah.